My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you wanna make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Wisconsin listeners, and welcome to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by the Consequence Podcast Network. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief Michael Rothman, and boy, do we have a special interview for you. Last weekend, pop culture convention C2E2 returned to Chicago for its biggest year yet, and I had the incredible opportunity to speak with legendary authors Tanana Reeve Du and her husband Stephen Barnes. Together, the two have published some of the most groundbreaking and influential literature over the last three decades, particularly in the horror and sci-fi genres. In fact, Tananarive's first novel, Right Out of the Gate, 1995's The Between, was nominated for a Bram Stoker Award, and she's since taken home multiple accolades in the wake of her debut, including an American Book Award for 2001's The Living Blood, an NAACP Image Award for her 2008 novel In the Heat of the Night, and a British Fantasy Award for her 2015 short story collection, Ghost Summer. Barnes also sits over an acclaimed bibliography, one that stretches all the way back to the 70s. He's also written dozens of screenplays for iconic TV shows such as The Outer Limits, The Twilight Zone, heard of that one? Stargate SG-1, and novelizations for both Star Wars and Star Trek. More recently, Tanana Reeve has turned heads with their exceptional documentary for Shudder, Horror Noir, in which she co-executive produced and starred in as a talking head. Over the past month alone, the critically acclaimed documentary has opened the eyes all across the horror community on the history of black horror. However, their talents extend well beyond the stacks and the screens and deep into academia, specifically at UCLA, where their acclaimed course, The Sunken Place, Racism, Survival, and Black Horror Aesthetic, is so goddamn popular that they've since offered it online as a web seminar. In other words, they can be your teachers too. And rest assured, you're going to be signing up after a discussion. Together we discussed everything from the power of genre writing to the history of Stephen King, who they both know very well. I'm not kidding you, their anecdotes alone are worth the 45 minutes you're about to hear. But really, it's more than just Stephen King. This is a conversation for the spirit and the mind. And if you have any inclination to write, especially in genre fiction, like I did decades ago, you'll no doubt feel motivated to hit the keyboard of yours shortly after. That's not me talking this up. That's a guarantee. So listen ahead, and I'll see you on the other side. The first question I wanted to ask was, um, you know, what are your earliest experiences with Stephen King? Oh, well, that's an easy one for me. Um, I'm pretty sure it was my late mother, Patricia Stevens Dew, who was the big horror fan in my life, who gave me my first Stephen King novel for my 16th birthday, and it was The Shining. Oh, gosh, The Shining. So I started with The Shining, and it had me hooked, but it especially had me hooked because he had a reference to the TV show Emergency in the book. And I was that generation. That was my jam. And yeah. it was like it, the book just leaped to life <laughs> once he mentioned yeah. emergency. So I was there yeah. at the Overlook Hotel. Uh, my very first encounter with King was uh, he was actually doing a book signing at uh, Dangerous Vision. No, not Dangerous Vision. Book, a Change of Hobbit bookstore out in Santa Monica. And I just stood in line to, to get that. Yeah. But, uh, I had later encounters with him uh, largely due to my good lady wife's connection to him. But prior to that time, we shared an agent at one time, our, our foreign book agent. I think it was Ralph Ficanonza, I think it was. 
And uh, this was about the time he wrote a children's book called The Eye of the Dragon. And mm-hmm. this was right about the time that, that my wife, my first wife, was pregnant with our daughter. So I sent out a message through my agent, Eleanor Wood, to Ralph Ficanonza asking whether or not I could get an autographed copy of Eye of the Dragon for my daughter. And about six weeks later, the book arrived, and I opened it up, and it was signed to Nikki, Welcome to Life, Sweetheart, oh, Stephen King. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, my gosh. And you have a very interesting past with Stephen King, too. Cause well, <laughs> okay, if we're talking about the personal experience front, I worked at the Miami Herald for 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's a roundabout story, but I'll get to it. Um, and one of the other people who worked there was Dave Barry. And some of your fans may know that Dave Barry, Stephen King... Amy Tan, a bunch of other writers were in a rock band called the Rock Bottom Remainders. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like a lot of people, I had secret fantasies of being in a rock band and I played a little keyboard. So one day I saw Dave Barry sitting in the cafeteria right before they were supposed to perform at the Miami Book Fair. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm really excited to see the band. It sure would be great to be like for the, I don't know what you call it, like the spring training team or the whatever the under team is uh, for the Rock Bottom Remainders. He said, well, listen. Mitch Album is going to be doing vocals during the Elvis number. Do you want to come up and play Jailhouse Rock? And I was like, sure. But inside I was like, oh, my God, I don't know Jailhouse Rock, but I don't care. I'm going to learn it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's actually how I I met him in um, short shorts and fishnet stockings. So they all dress like, you know, rock, gothic rock. And... uh, playing the keyboard and I gave him a copy of my first book The Between oh, signed so cool. to him that's the old trick I learned is you sign it first yeah yeah. <laughs> I don't know but anyway he was very gracious he took the book so when it was my turn to ask for a blurb for my second novel My Soul to Keep I just sent a note fingers crossed and when I got the response back from Bangor, Maine in yeah. my mailbox my heart was pounding yeah. and I held it up to the light and it was like a three line letter so I could see there were only three lines. I was like, oh, he's telling me to go jump in a lake. <laughs> this book sucks. <laughs> right? But the, uh, the, the letter was, uh, I really enjoyed the between, and I would be glad to blurb my soul to keep. Steve King. And I literally screamed. Oh, yeah. I just screamed. He's a really terrific guy. I have enjoyed him. I had a, Because of her playing with the Rock Bottom Remainders, I had a chance to hang out with him a couple times. And I would just tell you, you would not be disappointed. Mm-hmm. He is just as smart and just as goofy and just as knife, nice and just as silly as you'd want him to be. Yeah. But also, just loves playing intensely. So my, my, my sense of him is nothing. But this is a man who deserves every bit of his success. And I'm really glad that he's a genre writer. He mm-hmm. could have been that prolific writing anything. Yeah. He, could have, he could have succeeded writing anything. Yeah. And he chose the genre that I love. That is just, it, it rocks my world. And, and, and honestly, like I went to Florida State University for English and history. And there was a few, couple of years there where I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. But when I did get into to writing, you know, he really was a sort of outlet and gateway for me to just finding that sort of appreciation for genre writing because there are so many times where I'd be in like short story classes and they'd frown upon it. Like I'd deliver a story that had ghosts in it and all of a sudden they'd be like, um, well, we're only writing literary fiction. And I'm like, well, what do you, what's, what's really the difference being naive? That's a huge pet peeve of mine. Yeah, right? It's a huge pet peeve, um, the genre bias, because it starts with students and then it follows you into publishing mm-hmm. and it follows you as a filmmaker. And I'm really, really grateful that we've reached a time now where at least we're having serious conversations about what BS genre bias is. Look, this is what I would say about that, because Tanonarive and I both have done a tremendous amount of teaching. I would say that genre is a level 
above what basic writing is. So that if you're not published, if you're just getting started, there's nothing wrong with someone saying, okay, we don't want any genre. Let me just see your structure. Let me just see your characterization. Let me just see if you can write a, a mimetic story about our world. Then, once you prove that you can do that, now add genre yeah. to that. It's a, it's, it, it requires more. Mm-hmm. Okay? So there are science fiction, for instance, I think went through a long period of time where if you had a good idea, if you understood something about the sciences and you put that into your story, it would be a good story. Even if the writing was not particularly good and even if it had no real characterization or anything else, just the exploration of an idea. And I think that that can happen with genre. But when you get a writer who can handle... Yeah. You know, just ordinary writing, just, just oh, yeah. solid writing, and then can can integrate genre on top of that. You get those are the people who are become immortal. Mm-hmm. Those are the people. I mean, the, the the stories that have lasted the longest in human history are almost all genre. Oh yeah, you know, of what yeah. kind of they're not just you know a slice of life. Um, and so I I have tremendous respect for people who can just write damn good stories. But if you can do genre on top of that, now you've got something. Oh, I 100% agree. And one thing I will add to that, in fairness to those critics in MFA programs and college campuses, I would say too often, not every time, but too often when students come in with a fixed idea that they want to be a horror writer or even a science fiction writer, but I would say especially a horror writer. Yeah. They're coming in with ideas that are from film and television. Yeah, that's As true. opposed to literature. Yeah. Right? So it's there's there can be a fan fiction kind of component to it in a way that, I, first of all, a lot of instructors just aren't familiar enough with horror to feel like they know how to give you guidance. But like Steve said, uh, let's start with just good writing. Let's start yeah. with good characterization, good storytelling. Um, you don't have to write your trilogy your first time out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that kind of thinking, like wild, sprawling, trilogy-esque kind of oh, isn't the God. way to learn how to write. Yeah, <laughs> I, have that, I have a real bugaboo about that. And it's this. Um, so the people who say they've never published anything, but they're working on a trilogy. Or even working on a novel. Yeah. No! That's like saying you're going to run a marathon, but you've never run around the block. Mm-hmm. Okay, What you do is... From my point of view, and I understand that there are going to be people who disagree with this, start with short stories. For God's sake, start with a, a little short story, yeah. something you could write in a day or a week. Mm-hmm. You know, just dash it off be- for a lot of different reasons. If, uh, if an average novel is about 100,000 words, you're going to learn one hell of a lot more about writing by writing 100,000 words of short stories. Yeah. You're going to learn so much by doing that. You'll learn about the market, too. You'll also learn all of the... the the emotional blocks that stop you from accessing your excellence. You'll learn how to generate ideas and to have confidence. You'll always come up with more ideas. We go quietly insane every night. Yeah. All creativity is, is is tapping into that stream of ideas and then not editing yourself to death. Yeah. You're not, not smashing oh, your ideas 100%. while they're you know, strangling your ideas in the crib. Yeah. You know, it's that's all it is. You have to get used to that. Tap into the into the creativity, get used to writing your 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 fingers, you know, until they're bloody nubs, get used to sending stuff out, you know, and getting rejected over and over again mm-hmm. and getting slapped down and getting back up and saying, I care about this too much to quit. Yeah. And if you have that, now you've got the grit. Now Harlan Ellison who was a friend of, of Stephen King and, yeah. and just a great short story writer, used to be horrible to his writing students, you know, who'd come to Claire and whatnot. And it wasn't because he disliked them. No, it's because he loved them. 
And because if you did not have the guts to, to stand and, and, and look at him and have him trash your work and find something inside you to get back up, then trying to actually make a living writing was going to skin you and roll you in salt. And it's like he was looking out for you. you know, yeah. And he was, he was doing the cruel, necessary thing of saying, if you better find that strength inside you. You better find it and you better bring it to this, mm-hmm. to this thing that, that, that we do. I love writing and I love writing students. And I believe that the average person with an average amount of, of linguistic ability, willing to work hard and honestly, can publish stories. Yeah. It's not that hard. Yeah. See, now you know not to get us started. I'm writing. I'm, and, and I'm, I'm writing right. students. Where, where were you when I was in college? Like, this is, <laughs> it's not too late. I want to go back. No, no, no. You don't have to be in college. What you have to do is write. Yeah. No. You know, so we, we met you at exactly the right time. That's true. Your life starts today, buddy. No excuses. Well, I, I, I do wonder, with to the point that you're saying, with, with, with coming in and, and having these ambitions yeah. of, like, the, the, you know, the three books, the trilogy, you know, I do wonder if it's because so much of storytelling, the gateway to it, since we're such a visual culture now, Movies. I wonder, if, yeah, you yeah. know, if it's yeah, it because people see like, well, Hollywood's commissioning like 10 well, movies, also, like I need to do. you have these sprawling, grandiose visions, these worlds inside your head, populated with whole, you know, with whole histories and hundreds of people, and you don't know where to start. Yeah. You just want to do all of it, yeah. and it will get away from you, yeah. you know? And it's important to point out that Stephen King didn't learn how to write by watching movies. No, no. He learned how to write by reading great literature. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this is true of all writers. This yeah. is how you learn how to write. You read great he literature. He teach yeah. literature at the university level without doing any prep. Mm-hmm. He is he is that guy. Yeah. He just also has an evil child sense of, of, of doing things to, 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 you know, stab your nerves. Yeah. You know, he's got both of those things. You know, he's, he's got the mind of a, of, of a genius in, in terms of understanding. He has an encyclopedic knowledge of the field. Oh, yeah. He also has probably an encyclopedic knowledge of just literature in general. And then on top of that, he has a work ethic that would make a field hand look lazy, you know. And he's also a nice guy who yeah. with, with, with good, decent, basic family values. So most of his books are about taking apart the things that he loves. Mm-hmm. That means he knows how to scare you because he cares about the same things you care about. It's 100% true. And I wonder for those reasons why he may be, you know, such a big gateway for so many people across so many demographics, across so many ages. Across, I mean, it's very rare I, I meet someone that hasn't read or, you know, understands a story. Yeah, there are a lot of people who probably couldn't name three other horror writers. Yeah. Or two other horror writers. That's, no, totally. Besides Stephen King. Yeah. Stephen King and Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Look, movies, television, books, plays, short stories, graphic novels, radio plays, audio books, there is no medium that that deals with fiction that he has not conquered. He's published in, you know, a hundred different languages yeah. or something. He can't even count the amount of money he's made, which means that his his stories, his dreams translate across platforms, across mediums, across genres, across cultures. He is a primal storyteller. Oh, absolutely. A primal storyteller. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to put him on the level of Shakespeare because nobody's on the level of Shakespeare. Once you get to Shakespeare's level, he is sui generis. You know, he is, he is who he is. He has tapped into that universal place from which all the geniuses that we've had in the human race come from. He is 
who he is, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that anybody willing to do the amount of work that he has done would have success. Would they have his level of success? No, not in all likelihood, but they would have success. You can't, if you're willing to go through what he was willing to go through to succeed, you're not going to fail. You just, the question of whether you're going to have hundreds of millions of dollars is separate from, he wasn't writing to make hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars. He was writing because he loved writing oh, and wanted totally. to support his family. Yeah, I was so happy that he got the National Medal of Arts from, yes. during the Obama administration. Yeah. Uh, I was awesome. so vindicated. It's like, yes, this yeah. is art. And in terms of the sort of universal appeal of his work, I mean, I was not raised in a small town. Uh, I was never bullied as a kid. In fact, I don't recognize Stephen King children from my own life Yeah, because I never <laughs> knew kids who were that big of jerks yeah. as these kids are. But I, I think... He's writing from a place of personal truth, okay? So I don't know what his personal bullying history is, but I'm going to guess there was some in there based on his depictions of bullying and kids who are just really, really murderous, uh, violent a-holes, right? Um, But also the characterization is so good and so deep. And again, even though a lot of his characters are not like people I know, they're so real, that it transports you into the story. And then at that point, once the characters are real, you have no choice but to believe the things that they're going through and the things yeah. that are happening to them. And we, yeah, we, we like a couple of weeks ago, we had spoken to Joe Bob Briggs um, from the last drive, drive-in. Yeah, and he was- Check it out. Hilarious. And he was, just, God, just a mind, minefield of like pop culture references and stuff. But um, he, had, he was just saying, he, he calls him timeless American folklore at this point. And I want to know what your thoughts on that would be. You know? Stephen King is the great storyteller of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying he's the best writer, but he's, I do believe he's the best storyteller. Yeah. You know, because of the fact that his stuff translates. You know, he, he, There's no writer that I've read more of who has hit me as being delighted with the process, in love with storytelling as much as King. He's on fire mm-hmm. with it. That's that's who he is. I have known people like that in other other fields, so I recognize it when I see it. This guy is the real thing. Oh I mean, yeah, we, it, it, that's obvious. That's a stupid thing to even say at, at this point. But the people who think that he, that King writes uh, just for money are people. They're fools mm-hmm. because they don't understand. He's got more money than he could spend in a hundred lifetimes under ordinary circumstances. This man writes because he has a cornucopia as a a fountain oh, of yeah. ideas that is coming up and then he's got the discipline the to discipline. actually actually put them out there. And so, yeah, go ahead. No, please. I'd like to, to also shift to his chosen love, which is horror. Yeah. And the power of horror that might have helped propel him to this kind of America's folkteller status mm-hmm. because fear is so universal. We, we have this undercurrent drumbeat of realization that our time is short. We are mortals. And as much as we try to shove it off to the side and warehouse the ill and warehouse the elderly, we still know we're going to die. (laughs) And I really do feel like that's so much at the heart of a lot of horror and also trauma, fear of trauma. Everyone undergoes trauma. So I think we're seeing now in a wider sense that our whole society is beginning to embrace horror at a deeper level, cinematic horror, mm-hmm. certainly, yeah. right? Um, Jordan Peele is a great artist, but also um, he's a horror artist. Yeah. So like King, he's able to plug right in 
to our societal fears, our societal traumas. I think Get Out was more, you know, as he described it, a fear of unwanted attention uh, and in and, and white spaces and what it feels like to be surrounded by people. You don't know if they're your allies or not. Yeah. And then with us, he's even expanding that conversation um, beyond uh, race in particular to other philosophical questions I won't go into because people haven't seen it yet. A lot of people haven't seen it yet. But I think it's the very nature of horror that it can kind of wire around some of our defenses Mm -hmm. and appeal to that 10-year-old kid who's reading a book under the covers. Yeah. But done with artistry and done with literary flair like a king, it's just going to be timeless. And I wonder if the legitimacy of the genre has just become so appreciated because of not even just the current times, even politically, but just the current times of where our world is. You go through waves, cycles of, yeah. of different you know, people feeling optimistic, people feeling pessimistic. And that's, you know, the hero's journey. It says you, you don't go from one phase to another without going through the dark night of the soul. In those times, you know, in other times, you know, the fear is like, you might want to take like a roller coaster ride, you know, where you have a chance to focus your fear and experience it in ways, a little bit, you know, a little bit <laughs> yeah. like inoculating yourself against death by yeah. experiencing fear. Um, and I think that in times right now, there are enough people who are feeling like, oh, God, are we ever going to get out of this? And this is the worst it's ever been. And other crap like that. Because if you study history, you know, no, this is not the worst it's ever no, been it's, by any means. Yeah, no. However, that's not much of a comfort when you're living through it. Yeah. So horror then, in, in, as, as a person who loves horror... You know, sometimes just nothing will do except watching half-naked teenagers get chased with a guy in a chainsaw, with a chainsaw. You know, that's, you know nothing will do but that. Um, whether it's just kind of like light entertainment or a little bit of frustration at work or just wanting to get out of yourself or maybe, you know, deep grief, you know, where you need to focus your, your fear, your, your personal fears on something outside yourself or maybe an intangible malaise, just a sense that, that something is wrong with the world and you want to watch someone strive and hopefully win mm-hmm. against, you know, watching, you know, Ripley come out in the power loader, get away from her, you <laughs> bitch! Who didn't cheer when you saw that? Yeah. Who didn't want the power, who didn't want a mother figure like that? Who didn't imagine that their mother would have done that for yeah. them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That, that, that sense that, that that there is evil in the world, but that good can overcome. But in order to do that, from time to time, you have to have a pet cemetery. Mm-hmm. From time to time, you have to have a movie where evil wins, a yeah. story where evil wins, because otherwise you're not actually going to be afraid. You're going to say, well, they're going to get out of this way. Oh, they're going to get out this way. But you see something like Pet Cemetery, and you know that, you know, you don't know what's going to come next. You don't. When you have a writer, or a filmmaker, or a storyteller who is willing to go all the way there, mm-hmm. sometime. I mean, if they're really willing yeah. to do that, you know, you put down that story or that book and kind of say, "Ooh," you know, and then you need a palate cleanser. You go back to your life and feel like, well, I guess it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. At least my two-year-old, you know, isn't coming after me with a straight razor after getting hit by a tr- sixteen, an eighteen-wheeler, rather. <laughs> yeah, but also. Um, the other part is, depending on where you are personally going into a horror movie, sometimes you're relating to the victims and mm-hmm. looking for survival strategies and sometimes things not to do under stress. Yeah. And sometimes you're relating to the monster. Which is... You yeah. know, this is something that we uh, talked to uh, Tony Todd about. We have a, a black horror course we sell online, which I'll shamelessly plug here. at not w- go for it. Yeah. www.sunkenplaceclass.com. We interviewed Jordan Peele for the class. We interviewed mm-hmm. Tony Todd. And one of the things Tony Todd said when talking about Candyman is that so many kids... Uh, 
or well, people who were kids when they saw it, go up to him and talk about how empowered they felt by this character. Yeah. So some people are sitting in the theater afraid, and, and, and other people are cheering for the monster. Mm-hmm. Well, think about, uh, this is not horror exactly, but the evolution of Godzilla. Oh, God. That Godzilla starts as, as, as horror, and there's nothing funny about that first movie, one with, with Raymond Burr. Even, it's even worse if you look at the original Japanese version without the American stuff cut in. It was fear of America, the atomic giant who came out of their east you know, and laid waste to their cities you know, gl- you know, in, 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 in an atomic way. As the movies evolved... Godzilla became an ally of Japan against the other monsters representing the rest of the world, mm-hmm. trying to other countries of the world trying to take Japan's. And then later on, as Japan got more and more confidence, Godzilla became a friendly buffoon <laughs> that would be manipulated by Japanese children. So that's taking a nightmare and through inoculating yourself with it with familiarity, turning it into a tool or a friend or yeah. an ally. If that isn't your if that isn't your psychologist saying that the demons of your psyche, once you shine the light on them, can turn into the very resources that will power your life. Yeah. So we, we, somebody like King, who very clearly just has in it a deep well of humanity who also has the craft and the discipline and the knowledge of his field. He's exactly what we need. This is what our storytellers have been doing for the human race for thousands of years. This is what we look for, is people who understand what we're going through and will tell us stories and say, you know, young man, young woman, yes, it feels like all is lost, but there is a shining. You know, there is evil in the world, but... You know, you may be tormented in school, but as you go through the passage of life, you know, represented metaphorically by, by you know, reach, reaching fertility, you know, in, 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 in carry, you will be able to. You know, just on and on and on, he tells these stories, and at the heart of every one of them is what you love. He also has a deep understanding of small communities. Mm-hmm. So it's a small New England communities. So he will take, he will create them and take them apart, create mm-hmm. them and take them apart. This is what writers are supposed to do. Take what they know, mm-hmm. go deeply enough into the specific to emerge in the universal. So it's like, I have, I feel nothing. I feel nothing but love and gratitude, you know, that, that he's one of us. Yeah. One of us. <laughs> one of us. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and even though, you know, I, um, I executive produce a, a documentary called Horror Noir. And one of the things that we talk about in that documentary is a scene in the cinematic version of The Shining, directed by uh, Stanley Kubrick, mm-hmm. which stands out as sort of one of the most egregious moments of treatment of a black character in mm-hmm. horror. You know, we go through all these tropes in the documentary, and one of them is a set, we call it a sacrificial Negro. <laughs> um, and Scatman Crothers is sort of the poster boy for this sacrificial Negro, which is a departure from the way it was depicted oh, totally. in the novel, oh, right? The worst. the worst is the Green Mile. You see, the, the, the book, The Green Mile, is fine, because mm-hmm. the Green Mile is a metaphor for the path of life. We all die, okay? There's one critical difference in the movie The Green Mile that made it intolerable to mm-hmm. me. I will never watch it again. And that the only difference is that, well, there are two differences. One is that in the book The Green Mile, which was published in a, in a series of, yeah. of shorts, oh, yeah. um, 
the the guard believes that John Coffey is innocent and tries to save him, calls the governor, calls, you know, talks to the ward, so forth, can't get anywhere. In the movie, Tom Hanks touches him and knows that he's innocent and does nothing to try to save him. Yeah, no, he does nothing. Did, no. If that had been a movie about Lassie being accused of killing Timmy, in the last act of the movie would have been a frantic race across town to save Lassie from the yeah. gas chamber, and you damn well know it. They didn't care enough about John Coffey as a human being. King is very clearly was not immersed in black culture growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, he can be a little, he can have, he, especially in his earlier, he can have a little bit of a tin ear about that. Yeah. Uh, but so what? Nobody knows everything. And you can take a look at stuff like uh, Mr. Mercedes, and you can tell that he's trying to fix that. He'll have black characters in there, you know, college students or yeah. computer experts. You know, and it's still not any kind of deep knowledge. But what's very clear is that he has the wisdom to extend his humanity to people, even if he doesn't have that complete deep, deep knowledge. You know, this this that guy isn't the problem. Stanley Kubrick was the problem. Yeah. You know, the guy who directed The Green Mile was the, was the problem. Darabont. Yeah, Frank Darabont. That's right. So. He, you take a look, about 90% of the people who've made movies from King's stuff have missed what it is that makes King great. Mm-hmm. Okay, a few of them have done it. Darabont got it right with The Mist, for instance. I love The um, yeah. You know, yeah, The Mist, yeah. especially he's watching Black and White. Oh, that's the way oh. we do it. That's the way, yeah. Oh, yeah. We just screened it last year at a film festival we were hosting, and it's it's just gorgeous. It changes the whole movie. It is. It, it, yeah. It's it's perfect. I, I could go on forever. Except for that ending, but whatever. Ooh, yeah, the, well, this is funny because like, the book the is, it has a hopeful ending and he, then the, the, yeah. the movie just... I, I didn't... As, I, I did not. So does King. He, he thought it was, it was an upgrade. For the ending, but. I thought, okay, very funny. But yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting you mentioned his earlier books, though, because the criticisms that some of our co-hosts had while going through the books was just that the way you know that he writes black characters, yeah. there does seem to be a lot of archetypes going on. And I, I would say uh, probably there were not a whole lot of black people in Banger. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I'm guessing. That's, yeah. So, and this is something that, that's very common when writers try to be inclusive mm-hmm. when there isn't, there aren't opportunities for a lot of personal experiences. So sometimes we are drawing on tropes, um, yeah, unconscious tropes. And you know, you get the, the magical Negro there. You know, Jack Halloran in 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 the, in the Shining. You know, but he did survive, so that's different. He does, yeah. In in, in uh, what's what's the one with the kids? It. It. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you know, the black character is the one who stays in the town and has no life, while the others go yeah. off. But you, you got to understand that. What I see is he was, Stephen King's a man of his time, Mm -hmm. except he has greater wisdom in terms of of what he creates literally than the average person of his time. So I don't blame him for those things. What I do is I honor him for what he got right. Yeah. You know, but what this guy is, is like I said, when you see somebody who's operating, you know, I might not like Othello. I got I got some real issues with Shakespeare and Othello. I also think Shakespeare is the greatest writer that I've ever read. So... You know, you, you have so next time he needs to keep away from that that trope. <laughs> no, it's it's if Shakespeare were writing today, you would expect the same elevated sense of deep humanity. So what did he do with Shylock? Here is a man he barely probably barely ever, ever met a Jew. Jews are thought of as being baby eaters. Mm-hmm. And one of the greatest speeches is this. You know, do, does a Jew not have does not have feelings. I mean, it, it's it's that that wonderful speech that he gives. It establishes his humanity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it, looking at how easy it was for a director like Stanley Kubrick to get it wrong, or Stan or Frank Darabont to get it wrong, lets you understand 
how precious a thing it was that King got so much of it right. Yeah, that's you know, that's I would point. recommend King's work to anybody. And if you, you know, if you let yourself get distracted by that, then you've got a, an unrealistically high standard for what you're expecting human beings to be in this world. Yeah. And they blur my book, so... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, you know... He obviously has a great discernment. Really, really oh, good uh, taste in black literature. <laughs> in literature as a whole. <laughs> you had mentioned something in your Fangoria interview. You mentioned the idea of social commentary and this insistency when you have black creators that there's this assumption that there's going to be social commentary that's wired mm-hmm. to it. And, you know, with this week with us being released, like Jordan Peele literally had to go out and tweet and say, you know, us is a horror movie. And, you know, has, he's gone on record multiple times, like Rolling Stone profile. And, and I wonder if that's changing, because I, I mean, I can't imagine like Stephen King would have to go out and like tweet that and like be like. Well, I, I hope I answer this correctly. I think, I think Jordan Peele's tweet, uh, us is a horror movie, was in response to some announcement going out that it was a horror thriller. Oh, okay, okay. Which is the way studios try to soften the word horror and make it seem like, oh, no, no, but it's a good movie and you should go see it. Because there's still this image that horror means blood splattering on the walls and sort of mindless plot, even despite Get Out and despite... A lot of so-called again that term there elevated battering on the walls. You know? Oh yeah, oh there is. Oh my <laughs> god, I saw it last night and it oh, is. Did you Oof. dig it? I really liked it. Yeah, I, I'm a real big fan of like less is more and like so like the third act. I kind of was like, oh, he really went there. Um, is yeah, just, let's not say too much for yeah. people who haven't seen yeah, it. Yet, but yeah, that's true. That's true. But but but, but <laughs> to go back <laughs> to your first question, I think you know, um, yeah, it's so funny because. People are just figuring out that there is a such thing as black horror, you know, much less what it should look like. Yeah. But because of Get Out and because that was social commentary and because of, say, uh, Rusty Cundiff's Tales from the Hood, which, again, is social commentary, yeah. this idea starts to grow that, oh, if it has black characters, then it's going to be oppositional to racism somehow. Yeah. Or, And frankly, let's back up a second. Um as I told Jordan Peele in an interview I did uh, on the Universal lot, I think, you could have done any kind of film. Yeah. Right? And still made history with this cast, mm-hmm. an all-black cast. Yeah. It's any kind of genre thriller or, or any any kind of film, really. But because it's horror, just remember, so often we're erased from those stories. Or if we do appear in those stories, it is as a part of these tropes and they repeat they repeat I mean Bird Box is another example Um, Lil Rel's character who was in Get Out and one of the favorite characters in Get Out comes back in Bird Box sort of caged in this trope where he rushes into danger for no reason to try to help the white characters that is called the sacrificial negro and we've been through that so I'm I'm really glad uh, for this documentary because it'll help educate really in some ways creators is how I'm hoping it will help educate because Hollywood is a very young town people come in and rise very quickly so they're under 30 they've never seen Candyman they don't know about the stereotype of the, the black man lusting after the white woman or whatever which has been a part of our national DNA forever. So they will repeat tropes unless they're educated. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, then other people can call them out on social media, which no one is shy about doing these no, days. No, not at all. <laughs> See, I think that these tropes exist because they express unconscious desires and worldviews. In other words, one of the things that people are very uncomfortable about is seeing reproductive behavior in the other tribe, in the yeah. tribe that they feel in competition with. So you're going to kill them, you're going to emasculate them, you know, whether it's, you know, the uh, uh, 
oh god, the the the, the tribe of, of fighting slaves in Game of Thrones that are all you know the yeah. yeah the Dothraki yeah um, who are all you know uh, eunuchs you know whether it's the it's the guy in in uh, a Bird Box having unre- non reproductive sex and then dying to protect you know uh, the, the 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 lead you know whether it's this, whether it's that, there is some aspect of us that feels more comfortable watching that. Yeah. So if when people come into Hollywood and they are expressing their their own desires, their own needs, their own, own unprocessed prejudices and things like this, sometimes it requires somebody to point out to them that they killed every able-bodied black male character at the end of Infinity War. I mean, that yeah. all of them. Yeah. And then they brought back Samuel Jackson just to kill him. Yeah. And then they emasculated him in Captain Marvel. So he is, you know, the, a, a combat veteran colonel is stopping in the middle of a clandestine operation to play with a cat. Wait a minute. Yeah. You know, what's going on here? And what will happen is that we're headed towards a world with, with greater diversity, you know, as, as a whole. And that's the answer. It's not for people to try to be more conscious that human beings really are because if it's a room full of black people they're going to have attitudes about white people too yeah. you know and and some of the stuff they do you know might not be fun to watch um what's going to be necessary is to have a room where you look around the room and it looks like the world that 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 we live in mm-hmm. you know where we're having lunch with where we're you know swimming with and having parties with and getting to know as human beings so that the mythologies and the images fall away and what's left is a realization of this is just what we are we're human beings we're we're, we're born we live we'll die you know maybe i want you marrying my sister maybe i don't but i'll watch your children and help keep them safe if you'll watch my children and help keep them safe you know that that we we can live together as a culture without wanting to live and sleep in each other's bed Although that's fun too. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the truth is that you have to. That we're ex- exogamous. Human beings love boffing each other. You know, across those lines, you have to pass laws to keep us out of each other's beds. So, I see all this stuff as being solved, and I see fiction as a tool for showing us what's inside each other's minds. And I see genre fiction, especially hyper-emotionalized genres like horror, as ways to pretend we're focusing on the shuffling monster when what we're really talking about is life and death and fear and images of, you know, what is God and what is birth and what is love and what is hope um, in some personified form so that after the film is over, we talk around the water cooler. There's going to be a lot of water cooler conversation about us, just like there was with Get Out. What did it mean? What is this? What is this? Um, And out of that, we get to clarify what we are for each other as a culture. I think that this is as healthy as it possibly gets. And is there a lot of pain in there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think that what an artist's responsibility is to go into their pain and to, to clarify it or to process it themselves through their own creative kidneys, as it were, so that what they give the reader, it's a fairly inexact biological metaphor in that I think about it, uh, what they give the reader dizzies them without poisoning them. Mm-hmm. You know, I will, I will bear my own cross you know, of, of, of the life I've been given, but I, I would, if you will allow me 
to tell you a story, which I guarantee you will be entertaining, as entertaining as I can make it, I will also teach you a bit of my truth. I think that an artist who does that, like a Jordan Peele, and like a Stephen King, you know, because King, you know, to, to circle back around, he's talking about what's precious to him, his children. His family, yeah. the small town, you know, his his brush with death, his you know his flirtation, not flirtation. He thoroughly embraced, you know, the the the, 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 pharm- the pharmacological industry, mm-hmm. um, you know, this these things. Him being willing to put his his vulnerabilities and strengths and loves and fears and hopes and dreams out there for us. How much more of a gift can a human being give us, really, than opening yeah. their heart and their mind in that way? See, that an artist who will do that, I think that all of us as artists hope that we can touch that place you know, a few times in our own work. I know my good lady wife has done that in hers because I've watched the way people respond to what she's done. You know, I'd like to think that I've done that in my own. I've heard people say things like this, but it's not for me to judge. I can look at... I know, I know that quality when I see it. Mm-hmm. And Jordan Peele has it. Tanana Reeve Du has it. <laughs> S- Stephen King definitely has it. <laughs> with horror being as popular as it is, with, with Jordan Peele being as popular as it is, at a time where IP seems to be the only skeleton key in Hollywood, I that know. there's actually original stories that are being told again. Well, that's what's so exciting yeah. to me about uh, us and its projected box office. I don't know what it will earn, but it's going to be a lot. Yeah. And this is a second original script. Yeah. And I'm all in favor of adaptation, mm-hmm. you know, but it doesn't always have to be these huge tempo, like, long-standing comic series. How about an adaptation of a, a, of a black horror novel? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and that will come. But before that, we have to get to the point where studios are willing to trust uh, a work that hasn't been tested yeah. by years of consumerism and, you know, fan base and like a new story, a fresh story. And that's what Jordan Peele is all about. And I'm really glad he's doing that. I, I know for a fact that people are getting deals and getting green lights and getting approached in ways because of Jordan Peele yeah. that they would not have a year or two ago. And, and he's what I, what I really love, because I, I was able to see like the first two episodes of The Twilight Zone. And, oh, you did! Oh, oh, yeah, it's 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 phenomenal. Wow! It's, and they've tried to redo that so many times over the years, in the '80s and then the 2000s. And they got it right. Oh, they got it right. Wow! So, so, so I, I can't I, wait I'm to see that. Just blown away. And what, what it showed me was that he's not only telling original stories, but he's able to take some of that previous IP and find new life to tell it in a new way. That's beautiful. And my my girlfriend just brought up a, a, an interesting point. Like a few weeks ago, we, were, we saw a poster for some movie, and they're like. All they're doing is basically taking movies that had males in it and are just giving it to, to, to the women with the same story. And this is, like, so offensive to me. There's a lot of and, recycling. Oh, <laughs> a lot of recycling of ideas. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's just, like, it drives me nuts. But if, if we look at Stephen King as folklore, as, like, timeless folklore, do you feel that you could take his stories and almost kind of readapt them, reimagine them, to be more inclusive, to be more diverse, to tell different point, point, well, point of views. Yeah. I mean, you take a look at something like Shawshank, you know, mm-hmm. Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, um, you know, and casting Morgan Freeman, you know, as that role. An awful lot of his roles, you know, they, 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 
race isn't a terribly important thing. Gender might be a, be a little trickier sometimes. I think that there are things about small town New England where if the character were, you know, Asian, you know, or, or black or, yeah. or even Hispanic, it might be a little odder because very mm-hmm. clearly there's a, a cultural homogeneity in those little communities that it would kind of stick out like a sore thumb. What, what's going on here? And you'd have to take some time and kind of explain that. What, what's that, uh, the, the television series, the, the, the King... Castle Rock, yeah. yeah, Castle Rock series. You know, there is a little bit of well, what's he doing there? You know, it's great to see him. You know, and 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 they use it well, yeah. and they do it well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But you have to kind of, you know, you, you, there's a little bit. I did a little bit of a Scooby take. You know, <laughs> <laughs> No, I love Castle Rock, and I love that they made that more inclusive. So as we see more adaptations, and they will never end because there's so much King work, then yes, absolutely. I think just for financial reasons now, networks and studios are like, we have to be inclusive. You want to get those numbers in there. But the broader question of moving away from the familiar comes to bear here because we don't need to reimagine King we need to make room for new artists as well. I mean, King yeah. is fine, and no one's going to touch his legacy. But I, what a shame it would be if Jordan Peele was trying to be the next Stephen King oh, yeah, yeah. instead of the first Jordan Peele. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Well, we've reached the end, and I just wanted to ask, will we see more of horror noir? Will we have maybe, could, has Shudder been interested in maybe expanding it into a series, so hey, to speak? Hey, look, I, uh, everything... <laughs> I can't say for... I mean, we have some things that the production team definitely has some ideas in that direction, so yeah. we'll be uh, talking to them about our ideas, and I, I hope we'll have some news on that soon. I know Horror Noir's done really, really well for oh, Shudder. It's, it's amazing, yeah. And uh, a lot yeah, of people... Stupid. Yeah. No. You know, what you've got there is, and this is a beautiful thing, that there's a color... How do I put it? When white light hits a prism, it splits into all the colors of the rainbow. To reconstitute white light, you need to have all the colors there. And you need that white light. Is like Imagine that that white light is like a laser that can burn through the obstructions that, you know, the problems that the human race is having. That the answers that we, that the problems that we create as a species can be, can be, solved by us, but we need to bring our A-game. We need to bring everything. So we have prejudices, and we've been a part as human beings, but when you start including the voices of women, the voices of people of color, the voices of people who are non-binary, sexual, like this, you're starting to get a better sense of what it is that we are as Mm -hmm. a species, which I think is amazing. I mean, I just, I love what we are as a species, man. I I have no pessimism about where we're going. As a species, you know, could an asteroid hit us? Sure, you know, could everything blow up? Yeah, but if everything doesn't blow up, we're going to get there. Yeah. You know, we're going to solve this problem. So, I think that what happens is that there is resistance to these diverse voices, but the truth is, we're thirsty and starving to find out who are we really. If we're not the illusions, if we're not the mythologies about the, you know, the people on the other side of the hill eat babies. You know, uh, if we're not that, then, then what are we? And I think that we're dying to find that out. So a movie like like Get Out said something. It was saying things about race relations I have never seen put on the screen before. And because that, it's almost like it released some potential energy that had been insisted. Um, hiding there. There must be a thousand, thousand stories like that. Things that we think, well, I forget what it was. Was it maybe even Mark Twain or Will Rogers? One of these people says, it ain't what you don't know that hurts you. It's what you do know that ain't so. Mm -hmm. What we think we know about each other 
is what the problem is. The mythologies are the problem. The truth about what we are will save us. And I think you can put truth into fiction in ways you cannot put it into, in, into reportage. I think there's a lot of curiosity now about what black horror is, mm-hmm. uh, whether or not there's social commentary. And the great thing about horror fans is that we will watch films with actors we've never heard of. We will watch films in languages we don't speak, as long mm-hmm. as we have subtitles, in search of a good scare. And this is where the phenomenon comes in, you know, where people watch horror noir and say, oh, I hadn't really been aware of this history. Now I'm more aware of this. I'm, more cu- I'm curious who are these artists. And even if a story doesn't have an overt racial theme, but it has a black cast, it's coming from a slightly different direction than we're accustomed to, and novelty is what horror lovers thrive on. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This has been unreal. I need to move to California. What you need to do is is join us at the Life Writing Group. Join us at the Life Writing Group on Facebook. It's free. Community of Writers. You can Mm -hmm. check out uh, more about us at Tanonarive's page at Mm -hmm. www.tanonarivedo.com. You can check out sunkenplaceclass.com, afrofuturismwebinar.com. We're out there, and we love writers, and we love people who love genre, and we'd love to to know more about what your dreams are and what we can do to help you bring them out. Pretty good, huh? Yeah. After that conversation, all I wanted to do was just like hop on the train, go right to my apartment, throw everything off my desk, and start writing. But alas, I have priorities. But so do you. And that's to write. And if you want to do that, you should seek both of them out on Twitter. You could find Tanana Do at Tanana Do, And you could find Stephen Barnes at Stephen Barnes 1. You should follow them, sign up for their courses, read their books. At the very least, catch Horror Noir on Shutter. It's certainly worth the watch. As for next week, we're back in Ludlow, Maine, where we're finally going to be offering our thoughts on Pet Cemetery. And in fact, we're going to be speaking to the creators themselves, directors Dennis Widmeyer and Kevin Kolsch. So look for that. But also, keep watching our socials, because if you're in Chicago, you might have a special opportunity to see it a couple days earlier. So I'm just saying, keep a lookout. And you could do that by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We got that fresh content, as Rock and Randall likes to say. So look out for it. And also, you know, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, because we really love those reviews. Give us a five star. Give us a five star. Come on, five noser. I know you're not going to see those noses, but you can pretend. Until then, I'll be seeing you over long days and pleasant nights. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.